in a recession, and that President Ford's economic policy is adequate to handle the situation. WOR Radio News Time, 13 minutes after 9 o'clock. The man who served briefly as President Ford's White House press secretary and who was the President's longtime close friend said today, President's credibility rating is generally pretty good, but he does have a credibility problem because of the Nixon pardon. Newspaper columnist Jerry Tohorst, who quit the White House job because of the pardon, told a New York City meeting of radio and television broadcasters he felt that Mr. Ford had been politically naive in the timing of the pardon and that the action had concentrated more rather than less of the country's attention on Watergate. Catcher Ray Fossey has just clubbed a second-inning solo home run to give the Oakland Athletics a 2 to nothing lead over the Los Angeles Dodgers in the fifth and maybe final game of the World Series at Oakland. Los Angeles is at bat in the third. Stocks moved higher in moderate trading on the New York Exchange today. Turning around after an early wave of profit-taking, the Dow Jones Industrial Average Closed up 9.15 at 651.44 on a volume of 14,470,000 shares. The gainers outnumbered losers 759 to 588. On the American exchange, stocks closed slightly higher in moderate trading. Amex index up 0.05 at 68.98. WOR Weather Watch update for New York City and vicinity. Partly cloudy, breezy, and cool tonight. Lows in the middle 40s tomorrow, mostly sunny, breezy, and cool. Current temperature, 59 degrees, humidity 64%, wind southwest 10 miles an hour, barometer 29.80 inches, and steady. These top stories, President's veto of a bill strengthening public access to government documents is a continuation of the Watergate mentality, says Senator Kennedy. Doctors say they may know within three weeks whether former President Nixon can testify in person at the Watergate cover-up trial. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. President Ford pledges the biggest fight ever against inflation. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. Captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch. We are lost! 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 
there's always a gloom sayer in the crowd, you know. <laughs> I wonder what all this water is going here through the pool room. <laughs> oh, well, what the hell. Probably somebody just let us uh, let the sink run, that's all. Did you hear what that captain was yelling? That crazy nuts. <laughs> well, of course, we're doing that because this is a very special day in world history. Did you know that? Probably one of the greatest days or one of the most infamous days in all of world history, at least uh, contemporary world history. That is, since uh, Alexander the Great packed it in and left the field open to Attila the Hun. Or do you prefer Attila the Hun, huh? <laughs> well, what day is it? All set in there. Come on, let's get a little of that honk in there. Let's get it going there. We would like to salute. This is the anniversary of the Great Crash of 1929. Oh, the bear missed the train. He sure did. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's jumping out of the window. A bear missed the train, big enough big. Bear missed the train, yeah. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking, walking, walking. The bear missed the train, I say. The bear missed the train, you hear me? The bear missed the train, and now he's walking, oh yeah. He's walking on his uppers. He just ain't got nothing left. His portfolio's gone out the window. He's broke as, just as broke as, well, you know what, man's the train. The bear missed the train. His bear missed the train, and now now he's walking. His Dow Jones went down through the floor. Yeah, he fought on the margin. He made a lot of calls, and now his broker's living in Jamaica. The bear missed the train. I say he bear missed the train. He had his chance, but he done blew it. He blew it every way. He blew it. Oh, so bad. He's down the drain now, and now he's walking like the rest. The bear missed the train. I say the bear missed the train. Yeah, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Nothing wrong. It's gonna come back. Prosperity's just around the corner. Yeah, the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's selling apples. Ah, oh, that was mean, mean. For those of you that are curious the name of that uh, classic piece of Americana there. That was the Dow Jones Blues, or the bottom's dust done fell out. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and he's buying on the margin. Oh, the bear... <laughs> oh, I don't know what I'm laughing at. Maybe I'm laughing because I... You know, one of the great... You know, one of the... There is a great advantage of ignorance. There is an advantage to ignorance. Do you ever feel like you're a very ignorant person? Right. Yeah, well, believe me, there is an advantage. You, oh, you heard the old expression, ignorance is bliss. It also could mean ignorance is solvency. There is a great, great uh, advantage to ignorance. You know, for years I could not comprehend the stock market. Uh, it, it made no sense to me, all those little numbers, you know, and, and uh, points and amexes and, uh, and uh, upswings and downswings and bears and uh, bulls and all the rest of that stuff, you know. Apparently the bulls were more in charge. I mean, they were handing it out. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, I could never make any any sense to that. And the friends of mine sitting around, you know, and they look at the, they get the papers, see, 
Well, the first thing I look at in the paper when I get it, see, I make sure where the crossword puzzle's there. This is the way I read the paper, see. I look to see where the crossword puzzle's there. Well, then if it's there, I, I relax, see. I know that I have an exciting time ahead at that point, or at least a maddening time, which can be exciting. So the next thing I do, I, I go back to the back of the page, paper there, you know, and I see uh, how Joe Namath's knee is or his shoulder is or his foot is, or his psyche is, or his girlfriend is, or whatever it is they're writing about this day, you know, about Namath. He's always in the paper. At which point, then, I go back to the front of the page, you know, front of the paper, all right from the start, see? And I look at the picture on the front. The picture always shows a uh, defendant being arraigned, or it says, uh, you know, <laughs> police investigate, uh, mysterious explosion. And, uh, you know, you see the picture. And I look at the picture there. They all look pretty much the same. And then I go back to the third page, and that's the page where they always report on Jackie. I read about Jackie, you know. Jackie makes statement. Jackie seen walking on 43rd Street. You know, uh, Jackie in lawsuit. Uh, Jackie and Ari split. You know, I, I read that page. It, they alternate between Jackie and, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Uh, you know, whatever story is, you know, well, they keep slugging it in there. I read that, right? So this is, a, you know, I have a good time. I love reading the paper. I enjoy it, see. And then I go back, and I, and I I'm for, you know, for the laugh of the day, I go back and get the editorials. And, uh, you know, I chuckle over those. They're always good. You know, they're always bemoaning and looking with alarm. I love that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, Captain keeps hollering, we are lost, the captain shouted. Well, then I, I, I read that, see, and whatever it might be. And, uh. Uh, that's, uh, that, that there's usually a s different uh, that that too has an alternating thing. At one point, uh, Pete Hamill will be bemoaning race relationships. I read that, or next thing, Pete Hamill is talking about his great love life and stuff. You know, how how swinging his world is, and uh, then I I I, uh, I skip back all the way back to the sport page again because you see there's a second thing they always write about. Uh, this is on the second page of the sport page. Uh, no matter what time of the year, whether the fight is not on or is on, Muhammad Ali has announced that he is truly the, the uh, uh, whatever it is at that time. He's, uh, he's truly this or he's truly that. And uh, I read that. That's always good for, you know, a couple of bobs. And uh, so I alternate back and forth as I go. But one thing I never read, I never read that great chunk of paper that's in between that's covered with little tiny numbers. And up on the top, it says things like uh, transactions. <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I must admit that my more uh, perceptive friends read that first. In fact, they often read that, and then they, you know, they do whatever it is they have to do after they read those numbers. Like uh, I know one guy that dives under his desk and opens a bottle of Jim Beam and drinks heavily. Uh, he's, he's around here. You'll see him under the desk almost every second day. Uh, <laughs> I know another guy who, upon reading those numbers, immediately calls a mysterious phone number, and uh, and and you you see him sitting on the corner there, and he's I hate to see a grown man crying when he's talking on the phone. He talks a lot on the phone. I don't know what he t who it is he's calling about what he read in those numbers. So all these mysterious things are beyond my ken. I admit it; they're beyond my ken. So I've never had anything to do with it. Hence, I'm the only guy in the entire crowd that has more than three dollars to rub together and and uh, all for all these all these times all these months years eons i'd walk in and you know, i'd say to my friend and one of them say to me all the time what are you going to get in the market huh what are you going to get smart 
Well, I say, I don't understand it, Bob. I, I, you know, it's just like, uh, it's like uh, reading footnotes to, uh, to translations of Cicero. Uh, I, it's a thing that, you know, I find interesting, and I'm glad other people dig it, but it's just not my dish of tea, if I may use a well-used expression. It certainly isn't. He said, oh, come on, you got to go with it. Get some real good advice. I said, well, where do I get that? He said, well, come on out with me. Well, I'll give you some. Well, he's the guy that's under the desk all the time with the Jim Beam bottle. And his hair's falling out. It's fantastic. He's also a foot and a half shorter than he used to be. I can't imagine that. His height goes up and down with a market. It's amazing. So would you please salute him again? A little more of that bear and uh, make him feel a little better there. Please. The bear missed the train. He did. He just missed that old train. That bear, I say, missed the train, and now he's walking, of course. I said the bear missed the train. He did. The bear missed the train. There it goes down the track. The bear missed the train, and now he's 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 walking there. His his kids are getting awful thin, but he's walking. The bear missed the train. He missed the train again. Now he's walking. Now we can all sing it together. Oh yeah, he's walking far. He's walking near. He's looking up at the old ceiling, but he ain't getting no sense out of it because nothing makes sense. The bear missed the train, I say. I said he missed the train. He done it again. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Yeah, let's blow a little old Amex kazoo. That's the Amex kazoo. I will now blow the Dun and Bradstreet kazoo, which sounds damn near the same because they're reporting on the same market apparently. You know, that one has a little more of a tear in its voice. I thought that'll turn. I'm so glad that I'm dumb, man. But I do, do, do. I didn't buy the big ones. And I didn't buy the little ones. I didn't even buy the blue chip ones, which now look like I made out of Reynolds wrap. Yeah. Oh, a bear missed the train, I say. I say he missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. He's walking. Yeah, he's walking. That's what he's doing. He's walking. He used to ride them cabs and meters ticking. He didn't give a damn what the what the fare was. But now it's all over. He's walking near. He's walking everywhere. He's walking all around. He ain't doing no good. He's walking in your hair, and that still ain't help, because you ain't got nothing left. That hair is gone. A bear missed the train, and now he's walking, walking, walking. I say a bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Oh, man, that ain't no good. That ain't no good. Oh. Gee, that was nice, wasn't it? It's time now to, to lay a little uh, commercial goodies on you. What do you say, gang? Today we're in Barnes & Noble's new sale annex, right across the street from Barnes & Noble's main store at 5th Avenue and 18th Street in Manhattan. Imagine, a whole store full of books and not a list price to be seen anywhere. Well, I heard a bargain, but this is ridiculous. This book was just a bestseller. How can they be selling it for 69 cents? The sale annex is New York's biggest book value, with thousands of books at a fraction of their original cost. For example, you'll find $75 art books for less than $20. Best-selling cookbooks marked way down. Encyclopedias and sets at less than half of their original price. As well as paperbacks, children's books, reviewers' copies, foreign books, and much, much more. Now, don't go away. I'm coming back with a truck. It's all here at the sale annex, right across the street from the Barnes & Noble bookstore at 5th Avenue and 18th Street in Manhattan. The country's biggest bookstore of any kind, and probably the most interesting. Barnes and Noble, and you thought we only sold textbooks. That's a nifty new car. How much? Oh, super, including tinted glass. Oh, disc brakes, uh, white walls, 
reclining bucket? How about an electric clock? Don't let a lowball sticker price fool you. The true cost of a new car is the price the way you want it, not strict. The Datsun 710 comes with all those extra standards, things other cars charge extra for. Plus, full carpeting, electric rear window defogger, full wheel covers, and lots more. And don't forget Datsun's great gas mileage, low maintenance, and high resale value. Take a test drive in a Datsun 710 two-door sedan, four-door sedan, a hardtop, or the new five-door wagon soon. When you compare costs, true costs, you'll see that Datsun really does save. Yeah, go see one of the 56 Datsun dealers in New York, New Jersey, or colorful Fairfield County. Find out what the true cost of a Datsun is. Big, 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 that's it, big. Even with inflation, Italy still gives you the one thing every vacationer wants for his money. More. Take restaurants, for example. There's one in Rome called Ambasciata d'Abruzzo. Their 12-course feast of ham, sausages, antipasto, pasta, roasts, salad, cheese, fruit, coffee, cake, wine, and sambuca used to cost $5. Now, with inflation, it's all the way up to $6. Or you can eat where Hemingway ate at the Piccolo Padre in Milan. Before inflation, its 22-course meal was $8. Today, it's $10, including all the wine you can drink. Alitalia has almost 50 different tours of Italy, and only Alitalia flies exclusively 747s from New York to Rome and Milan. What's more, there isn't a scheduled airline in the world that can beat our new low fares to Italy. For free assistance, call an expert, your travel agent, or call Alitalia and come to Alitalia's Italy where you get all you ever dreamed of and more. Oh, gee, I'll tell you. This is elegant. <laughs> that bear ain't flying either, to Italy or nowhere. Uh, this is, uh, speaking of flying, it's the only station that truly flies in the face of the world itself. This is WOR New York, of course. And if that ain't enough... I'm Fran Allison. On nights when you have trouble falling asleep, what are some of the things you do to help? Well, I sleep with my head at the other end of the bed. Sometimes that helps. I eat. <laughs> <laughs> I do relaxing exercises, starting with my toes, and I'm usually asleep before I reach my shoulders. On those occasional nights when you have trouble falling asleep, and exercise and counting sheep just don't seem to work, try Compose. Compose simply relaxes and unwinds you so your body is able to fall asleep more easily. Of course, by falling asleep more easily, you're going to feel better the next morning. So take Compose on those occasional nights when you have trouble sleeping. If you're not satisfied in any way with Compose, mail Compose the box top and they'll send you double your money back. Remember, the more easily you fall asleep, the better you feel the next morning. Compose. Use only as directed. It's guaranteed. When Congressman Ed Koch reports to the people, he goes where the people are. The shopping areas, the bus stops, and the subway stations of the 18th Congressional District. I'm old enough to remember when a subway ride in New York cost a nickel. And believe me, it isn't that long ago. By the time I joined the city council, we saw the fare go to 20 cents. And when I went to Congress, the fight was to save the 30-cent fare. Now we're hoping the 35-cent fare can be saved. And it won't be, not unless the Democratic congressmen from New York City keep on fighting a Republican administration committed to more highways and more cars. The subways and buses of New York are the lifeblood of its working men and women. 
passage of my subsidy bill for mass transit would not only help to save the 35 cent fare, but to make subways more safe and efficient. You better believe I'm not giving up the fight for our subways. Ed Koch is fighting for us, for our rights, for our transit systems, for our environment, and much more. Re-elect Ed Koch. He's everything a congressman should be. Paid for by the committee to re-elect Ed Koch. Okay, okay, thank you, gang. Sooner or later, you'll own generals. That is when you stop walking and start riding again after the market comes back. But nevertheless, uh, whether you drive a sports car, a sedan, an Irish mail, a scooter, a compact, or a limousine, General Tire has the tires you need at prices that even pearl sad face you can afford. Choose from steel-belted tires, glass-belted original equipment tires, wide-raised white-letter tires. Ooh, all built to General's exciting and exacting standards. Sooner or later, friend, you'll own General's, and in colorful Plainfield, you'll see your General Tire Specialist standing out in front of the store at 815 West Front Street. Ask for Big Herb. Yeah, yeah, he's the one eats a peanut butter sandwich. You'll own General's. Well, I'll tell you. Let's, let's, let's let it cool it a while, shall we? I mean, we've given them 17, 20 maybe 250 commercials in a row. Sometimes I feel like I come not bearing gifts, but bearing pitches. Sooner or later, <laughs> which is the truth. <laughs> you know, uh, this is, uh, let's face it, this is the anniversary of, uh, of the uh, famous stock market crash. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, he has hanging in his office, it's funny, he has hanging in his office, he's got the the uh, a reprint of the New York Times front page of that day, uh, and it's you know it's a, it's the original reprint. You know the paper you can get these things. I guess you can out of the Times and they give you a reprint of it. You know and he's got it framed, and uh, and he has it hanging in his office. You know that's that's kind of silly uh, <laughs> when you stop to think about it. It's like it's like for example, uh, uh, let's just take an argument. Sake it's like for example uh, a uh, a bear, a Kodiak bear, who collects uh, bearskin rugs as a hobby, you know, that have been <laughs> bears that made mistakes, they have them stuffed, you know. <laughs> he keeps one in his office there to remind you how silly people used to be. You know, there's a, there's a, a great, uh, I think a great human failing. I, I, I seriously mean this. A great human failing. And I, let's face it, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm just like anybody else. I'm, you know, we're all in the same ship of fools together. And uh, we're walking around, and uh, you know we're all in the in the same boat. One of the great human, the two great human failings, really fascinating. One of them is that there is eventually and constantly appearing among us somebody who can solve all the problems of mankind. And of course, at that point, an ism is born. Uh, this is a. Uh, uh, this is a great, uh, one of the great failings, and you hear them, and, and almost always, this rises to a peak in times of uncertainty. Whenever, you know, and uncertainty can be graphed like almost anything else, like the wheat crop. Uh, you know, there's some years better for wheat and other years are not. Uncertainty goes up and down like a great graph, and at, all, at, at any given time when you're living, I, as long as I can remember in my life, I don't know how you know, your life has been, but as long as I can remember in my life, 
uh, it has always been considered at that moment, whatever time it is, we are living in times of great crisis, unparalleled in man's history. This is always that, and could lead to the eventual dissolution, dissolution of the entire world as we know it. At, at always, at always, I can't remember any time when he didn't say that. Now, if you watch these bad television shows that are pocking television like, like a curious kind of acne, these little wonderful homey family shows, you know, it's called the Walton Syndrome, or the next time I see John John Boy, I'm going to fall up syndrome. But uh, th these little shows keep popping up, which assures you that there was a time when people had total certainty in their lives. It was called, it's always called a simpler time. It's one of the great illusions. <laughs> See, the illusion always, this is a form of ego, of course. The ego states that I, as a human being, am, am living in the most important, crucial, pivotal times in all history. You like to feel that. I mean, it would be a hell of a note to realize that you've lived your 70 years out in the, in the uh, let's say, in the Pablum era, in the Dummer's era, yeah, Dummer era, nothing happened for that. So, so you have to constantly assure yourself, and this goes all the way back to Plato. Plato was doing the same thing as thousands of years ago, that, uh, that at this time, mankind is facing an unparalleled, probably uh, cataclysmic uh, crossroads. And, and, and this, this has been forever. Now, that's one side of the coin. And so naturally, at that time, whenever, whenever this stuff uh, 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 begins to, to permeate down to the masses that we're living in times of unbelievable, crucial, uh, cataclysmic uh, disasters about to, uh, about to appear over the horizon, uh, this then gives rise to thousands of guys who immediately leap up and say, Follow me! Now, they come often not driving or wearing, or let's say they don't come often riding white horses. They, that was an old idea. They come often wearing white sheets uh, that hang down to their <laughs> and they cross their hands, you know, and look solemn, see, and say, ah, the answer is in the firmament. And of course, at that point, thousands flocked to this. And this has always been uh, almost historically a fact that at any given time during, during uh, times of great uh, uncertainty, or let's say more uncertainty than usual. <laughs> See, it goes up and down that that, uh, that 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 these people pop up, and there are all kinds of experts. Uh, experts on economy. I had a laugh. The, the the most recent expert on the economy, the guy that wrote all the books, you know, bestsellers here a season or two ago. He lost two and a half million dollars on a cockamamie stock deal. Did you read about that guy? <laughs> He's still giving out his advice, though. That never stops. That never stops an advice giver, Fred. <laughs> Getting shot down only makes him louder. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the, uh, the this is this is one of the sides of man. The other side, of course, the other side that that is equally uh, fascinating, and I might also add equally sad, uh, is is the is the tendency among all of mankind, all all of us, you know, walking around human beings. Uh, to feel somehow that others know more about life than we do. And there's nobody any more alive than you are. That's, that's a fact. I mean, whether you like it or not. Others are pretending their life is fantastic. I mean, they, they come out with the big stories. Uh, and, 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 and so the, 
the tendency is always uh, at any given time to uh, to be to be constantly subjecting yourself to to the belief that it used to be better and i and i imagine there are a lot of people this is part of that nostalgic craze you know a lot of people who feel that it used to be better well uh, these are people either who have no memories whatsoever or if they do have very imperfect memories uh, or it's people who never lived through it and or whatever it can be last week uh, it's not, already you know i can remember when people during the 50s uh, we're talking about 50s were probably the dullest time in all of history. Now they're looking back to the 50s, you know, with great, with great nostalgia. That was a, some, somehow a very fascinating time. Of course, they forget all the business of, uh, of uh, the Hungarian uh, uh, revolution and invasions. They forget all those groovy things that were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> very simple scene. And and uh, and this is this is a uh, this is part of our uh, part of our problem. But the other side of our problem is. And I think this is equally uh, human and sad: is to continually pretend uh, it's a it's a romantic concept that the past was more romantic than the present. This is a, a firmly held belief, uh, and also another firmly held belief is to believe that the far distant future will be more romantic than now. This is called the Star Trek syndrome, uh, where <laughs> there are people who, and they divide almost equally the groups. And so often the same guy will believe both, but he's not as usual as the guy who will pick one or the other. There's one guy, you know, that will say, oh, my God, I was born in the wrong century. You know, he, he dreams of wouldn't it have been fantastic had I been one of the guys struggling west in 1830, you know, dying of smallpox. Uh, which somehow was not as painful then as it is now, and a simple little grave on the prairie, you know, kind of thing, uh, and 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 so this is a <laughs> this is this is a, a constant battle with us all the time, and and what what is even probably more virulent in our time than in any other time in history. This is the one time that sets us apart. We have a way of formulating that now. See, prior to the nineteenth, but in the middle of the nineteenth century. Uh, people could have their private thoughts, and they were pretty much private. But uh, as as media began to grow, and uh, as Dennis Hopper took over, and as we began to slowly creep into the Robert Redford era, we began to then produce great epics that that pretended to say, you are now going to step back into the X era or the Y era. And so a guy watching The Great Gatsby probably figures that's the way that it was then. In fact, I asked my mother, who really, that was her period, you know, all that time. And I said to my, you know, I saw her a couple of months ago, and I said, Hey, Ma, I said, uh, did you see The Great Gatsby? Yes. I said, uh, well, what did you think of it? You know, all those hot diggity dog, hot shot, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the phraseology. <laughs> she said, well, I, I, uh, I just don't remember anything like that. And I said, well, that's quite right, Ma. That's, uh, that's purely David Merrick got together with Robert Redford, and they both decided to ignore F. Scott Fitzgerald. So, uh, <laughs> and so, so the, the constant rewriting of history, you know who wrote about this? Probably the, who said it best of all was George Orwell, who said that man's desire to rewrite history, uh, while on the one hand it can be a finite political tool, you know, with the, with the, 
We're seeing it right now today, uh, you know, the rewriting history all the time. Like one group of candidates are running on the premise that, uh, let's say, that inflation is the result of an another group, uh, ignoring the fact that it's quite possibly true that their, that their uh, policies of 25 years led to the inflation. <laughs> See, this, uh, people also tend to forget history. And this, this also lies at the very basis of, uh, of what could be called, let's say, the cyclic theory of history. One of the reasons why we do have cyclic theories of history. When in fact, who was it? George Bernard Shaw. I don't know why I'm talking like this now, but George Bernard Shaw uh, one time made a remark. says, the only thing, I think it was Shaw. It could be uh, almost anybody. Maybe Earl Wilson. Uh, I know. <laughs> anyway, he said, uh, the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. That's quite true. Uh, because, because you see, we rewrite it. It's not that we don't try to learn from history, it's we rewrite history. As time goes, we rewrite it. Until finally, history is something you can't, you can't learn from a Robert Redford movie, I can guarantee you that. And history tends to become that. And so, any guy that's writing history today writes it out of his own political bias now. And that's called dynamic personal history, just like dynamic personal journalism. So if a guy leans left, he wants to write history one way. If a guy learns, leans right, he writes history another way. So after a hundred years, there's no way to learn from history. You just take your pick uh, of whatever history books you want, you know, <laughs> whichever augments your particular bias or prejudice. And so you can't learn from history because in our time especially, history is rewritten as fast as it's written. And, and, and furthermore, it's not rewritten by an evil political party. It's rewritten by mutual consent. So if we decide to rewrite how it was, let's say, for argument's sake, uh, in, the, uh, in, in, let's say, the 40s, we will then create a movie in which we produce an artificial 40s. And from that time on, we all then agree, yes, this is the way it was, see. The critics will come out, the summer of 42, pap, all the way, you know. And they'll come out and they'll say, he absolutely, they really caught the essence of the time, see. And so everyone has agreed now, let's agree that that latest bit of garbage was the way it really was. Uh, you know, uh, forget it, friends. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to ever tell people about an event that you yourself have gone through. Anybody who's ever gone through an event can tell you that. Uh, can you imagine, say, uh, General uh, Ulysses Grant being interviewed by Dick Cavett about what really happened <laughs> in the Civil War? I'd say, it would go, it would fly in the face of every Civil War historian. And, and, and they, they have more weight than Grant, of course. I mean, after all, Grant never won a Pulitzer Prize writing about the Civil War. <laughs> and, it, it, and it goes on and on. So the last guy to... If you really want to know something about a, a period, don't go ask the guy that was there, because you won't want to hear what he's got to say. Uh, by all means, go to see the latest movie about it. Hello, David. How are you? Go to see that. I mean, because that's much more palatable and easy to take. If you want to know what it was like in Iowa in a pleasant little family there, turn on the switch there, and you got the Waltons. But don't, for God's sakes, go out to Cedar Rapids and ask anybody what it was like. He'd laugh, you know, he'd laugh you right out of town because that's simply not true. That's called mythology. 
Now, it's very difficult to tell a myth from the real thing, especially when you have genuine artifacts which you lace your myth with. Now, I'd like to suggest what I mean. It's like if you walk out, see, and you're wearing Beowulf's actual bearskin rug, and you're carrying Beowulf's club, and, and, and you start talking in, in the, the language of Beowulf. Everyone says, that must be absolutely authentic, you know. Forget it. Forget it, friends. Furniture doth not an era make. <laughs> you can quote that. That's a shepherd line. In two weeks, that will be quoted by Dick Cavett, and everyone will quote him, and they'll be in time again. But uh, I'm afraid, though, that, that furniture doth not an era make. So if you go in and you see this chunk of, of magnificently carved uh, roll-top desk, and you say, oh, man, that, they really had style in those days. That's the way people lived, you know, great, great stuff. Look at how they built that. What he's not saying, of course, is the only guy in the block that could afford a desk like that in that period was probably Scrooge himself. Scrooge had one. You notice Bob Cratchit did not? So, uh, so uh, this is a myth again. If you were to walk into some guy's, uh, let's say, uh, Sutton Place uh, uh, baronial penthouse, and there, standing in the middle of the, of the floor there, is this... 37 square foot magnificently hand carved by Nigerian workmen, a Nigerian teak wood uh, coffee table. And if you were to take that coffee table and say, that's the way it was in the 70s. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> but this is the myth that's constantly, constantly bugging people. And let's put it this way the dross hardly ever survives, and it is dross by which people live. Bump, bum, bump. Speaking of dross, do we have a commercial in there, Al? <laughs> if you took one big room and into it you put all the landlords who sing the same old song. I have my course. Not a tenant's got to understand. All the fat cat oil barons. What's wrong with making a profit? It's the American way. This all the narrow-minded executives. We can't promote her. Men have held that job for 40 years. And all the rip-off artists and fast talkers in New York. You'd have a room full of some pretty bad characters, all of whom would have one thing in common. Attorney General Lefkowitz has taken them on. He's forced landlords to pay interest on rent security deposits. He sued seven major oil companies for price fixing. And he's forced some of New York's biggest employers to start hiring more women. If you judge a man not by his friends, but by his enemies, Attorney General Lefkowitz is certainly doing his job. This is your Attorney General, Louis Lefkowitz. I try to do my job in a way that makes people feel like they have a lawyer in the family. Paid for by People for Lefkowitz, 74, John W. Haynes, Chairman. The voice of a legendary Alfa Romeo. In the 1935 Millimilia race, an Alfa Romeo finished 42 minutes ahead. A machine built by men with a passion for sport, engineering supremacy, and safety. They still build them today for the road. Like the Alfa Romeo Spider Veloce convertible designed by Pininfarina that outhandles many of the world's most costly cars. A machine that gives you a new sensation of control and whose four-wheel disc brakes are the envy of the industry. A machine whose aluminum engine and fuel injection system Motor Trend magazine reports can squeeze 29 miles out of a gallon. Maybe your driving can too. Why drive a car when you can drive a legend for under $7,000? Alpha Romeo.
You are listening to the sound of the New York Stock Exchange, a place where millions are made and lost on a daily basis. It's fast-paced and very risky, and last year, Connecticut lost. Fully $120 million of Connecticut's pension money was blown in the stock market. Ella Grasso thinks this is inexcusable. They didn't ask the veterans and the teachers if their pension money, the money they worked so hard for and so many years for, should be invested in speculative and high-risk securities. A child is more careful with an allowance than the state government has been with other people's money. Ella Grasso knows exactly what she would do with the pension money. I say let's invest the pension money in our banks and thrift institutions right here in Connecticut. That would make mortgage money available, it would let people buy their homes, and it would create construction jobs besides. This is the kind of common-sense approach to government that Ella Grasso would bring to Connecticut. Paid for by Ella Grasso for Governor Committee, Edward R. Driscoll, Principal Campaign Treasurer. A glorious evening of music. Anthony Newley and Henry Mancini and his orchestra on stage at the Eurus Theater. Anthony Newley, the British charmer who captured Broadway's heart and stopped the world and the raw of the grease paint, is back on Broadway, joined by one of the musical giants of all time, Henry Mancini. Newley and Mancini together on stage in concert at the Eurus Theater, 51st Street West of Broadway. Only 15 performances, October 30th through November 10th. Tickets on sale now at the box office and all Ticketron locations. Oh, that sounds like a very exciting evening. You know, I've often wished that I was a romantic. I really do, you know. I wish I was. On the other hand, I wish I was a hard-bitten cynic. If that's the case, then I would have become Pete Hamill. Uh, it's it's the guy who, who clearly, you know, <laughs> who stands around and says, a pox on both your houses. He's in trouble. You have to pick a house. You really do. That's that's a you got to pick a house and hang on to that damn thing. But I tell you one thing: don't hang on to it when it begins to develop termites. At that point, you switch parties quickly, and announce loudly that you were one of the first to discover the termites. So, uh, <laughs> if you know so many guys are now anti-Nixon that were writing it, you know, calling them up all through the '60s, coming to campaign for him. I don't know. Uh, this is this is known as jump when the jumping's good. This is one of the most important things to learn in life, friends. When that captain hollers, We are lost! That captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch. Don't stand around like a sap, like a dum-dum. Don't stand around and say, well, The water that's coming in under the transom here, somebody left the sink running. That damn thing is sinking. So be ready to jump. Oh, yes, I know a lot of guys that are learning Siamese. I mean, you never know which way it's going to go. But uh, <laughs> seriously, I know one guy that's uh, he's uh, he's uh, bought himself a summer home on the sands in Iran. I mean, you know, he wants to be sure he's he's where the mother load is, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, this is all part of it. And incidentally, one of the great, I suspect, one of the great human illusions. And this this I felt for ever since I was about ten. I want you to listen, and I want uh, and not that I know anything. No way. But I wonder whether you've suspected this, too. As a fellow human being, you know, we can kid everybody around us. And we can kid each other en masse. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, when you're looking at the ceiling, you know, and the, uh, the prayer for the day has just been laid on you on Channel 2 with that plastic stained glass window behind it, and the transcribed reverend has laid another one on you, you know, 
and uh, you you got that terrible feeling, you know, that that always comes when all of a sudden it says one moment, please, the film is broke. You say to yourself, what the hell does God do now? The film is broke on the prayer. Does he say, hold it, oh, wait a minute, let's wait until they splice it there and find out what they want. Uh, or does a transcribed prayer, this is a very difficult theological problem, does a transcribed, taped, a filmed prayer count as much as a live one? Or as what they call rerun discounts? I don't know, you know, this, uh, this gets very difficult for future theologians. However, <laughs> however, one of the great illusions of mankind is this that they were they used to be used to be whenever the used to be was they weren't as smart as we are this is a great illusion you know, somehow that 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 the disasters that were visited upon the ancient people came because they were basically dumb yeah and somehow we are in an enlightened age. Have you heard that all the time in editorials? In this enlightened age, they often open up with that. What a fantastic false premise that is. What is an enlightened age? Is that enlightened opposed to dumb ages? Yes. See, enlightenment, when you use the term enlightenment, that is a comparative term. What you're really saying, compared to what? One cannot say one is enlightened. It's just like a positive and a negative on a battery. You can't have a positive battery unless you have a negative. Enlightened compared to what? Well, uh, well, look at what you mean. And that's what made me laugh. See, my buddy, who was part of that crowd, you know, like the all rest of the bears that are walking these days, the bear missed the train, of course. I mean, he's sitting there looking at the financial pages and always over him he had this big this great big framed front page of the New York Times and the front page was the day that the stock market crashed in 1929 and it, that was kind of a camp thing to have in his office and one day I said to him I said to Jerry uh, hey, well, what's with this thing here on the, the back he said oh well you know I just keep it to remind me how much better off we are today than they were <laughs> By the way, that guy's opened a little TV repair shop now, someplace outside of uh, Plainfield. He's sitting there with his Heath kit tube tester, waiting for business. Like the rest of the bears, he missed the train. But then so did the bulls. And so, you know, who cares? And what's sad, the train never came. Now we're getting into Godot. We're getting into Beckett, the whole ball of wax. And the next thing you know, how far can this go, you know? Can you imagine heaven? You get up there in heaven, and it turns out to be an unbelievably, fantastically large, eternally going on, continual game show presided over by a cosmic Bill Cullum. How do you get to be a contestant? One of the great mysteries. I suppose you got to get an agent. And then the next question is, how do you become an agent? It just goes round and round, and the tell of the hun, he wasn't really wrong. This is uh, WOR, friends, in New York, of course. Stay tuned for In Conversation. Mobile Oil Corporation presents In Conversation a series of discussions meant to enlighten and involve you, the listener. Tonight, our host, 
is author-journalist Nat Henthoff. My guest is a member of the editorial board of the New York Times, that principality within the nation's most influential newspaper, which gives the opinions of the Times, views which can on occasion sound like fearsomely judgmental thunderbolts from the heights of Olympus. Whether condemnatory or laudatory, the editorial views of the New York Times are read with great care, particularly by politicians, diverse professionals, and others who possess to one degree or another power. It seems to me they read the editorials to see whether this day or this week the Times is shoring up their power or trying to undermine it. I'd always imagined the members of the editorial board of the New York Times to be remote personages, insulated from the streets and subways of New York City, or any city, living in Connecticut, perhaps, and seeing how the poor live only briefly as the train passes through the 125th Street station. I grant, grudgingly, that this is a stereotype, and in any case, whatever the composition of the New York Times editorial board used to be, its newest member is certainly not insulated from city life and from black life. Roger Wilkins is, to begin with, the first black member of the editorial board of the New York Times, since that sometimes august newspaper was founded in 1851. It took a rather long time. Roger came to the Times from the editorial board of the Washington Post. Were you the first black editorial member of that board? That's right. Well, you're breaking down doors everywhere. Um, at the Washington Post, he also wrote sign pieces elsewhere on the editorial page, which should have been sharply illuminating to most members of Congress if they have sufficient literacy to read them. And before the Washington Post, Roger Wilkins... Uh, worked in the United States Department of Justice, which was that then, headed at the time by a singularly forthright public official, Ramsey Clark. Usually, an interviewer comes on as omniscient, which means he's, he's read the quips about two minutes before the program, and gives the whole background of the guest. I figure it might be more interesting, since I don't know the whole background, if you could sort of tell me what your bio is uh, up to and including the Justice Department. Well... I, uh, <clears throat> a long time ago, I went to law school, and uh, before I went, people kept telling me that uh, you ought to get a law degree because you can do anything with it, and um, I've spent the last 18 years trying to prove that. I uh, practiced law here in New York for six years. What kind of law? Well, there was some international law with uh, uh, representing missions of developing countries to the United Nations, uh, some general uh, commercial practice and some general litigation. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1962, the interest in developing nations wasn't really satisfied by the legal practice, so I went down and joined the Kennedy administration and spent two years as special assistant to the administrator of AID. And AID is? Agency for International Development, right. our foreign aid agency. 